Hello, Tabernacle. How is everybody? Good, good. Uh, my name is Tim. Sincerely, we are the land of misfit toys. We do something a little bit different here. Uh, and and that, that's a compliment. That's not a, anything other than authenticity of who we are as, as a congregation, as God's children. Um, the world is filled with misfit toys. The difference is we submit to the will of God to the best of our ability. Um, and we submit to the fact that uh, Jesus loved us enough to sacrifice himself without requiring us to come along with him on the cross, um, just so we can spend eternity in love with God. And that's the difference of this land of misfit toys. And you are a little bit odder than most. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, we're in 1 Kings. We're in chapter 9. We're going to do verses 1 through 9 today. Um, and as I read this, you know, as, as it happens with me once in a while, I don't know about you, but when, when I read, I'm not like always in this worshipful, holy God moment. There are times when things happen. It's like I almost get angry. It's like, really? You had to do that. That just frustrates me, God. To which he goes, of course it does, Tim. You're a misfit toy. So as I'm reading the scripture, it's like, well, maybe it's a matter of perspective of how I choose to view this. Because it, it, we all have our own perspectives. And sometimes we feel like we don't have a choice in our perspective because of how God wired us or how God made us or the circumstances that I grew up in or the circumstances I've lived through, whatever it is. And we feel like we have no choice, but we do have a choice of our perspective. And to illustrate what I'm trying to communicate is, is some people will flip things upside down. I mean, that's, you know, one of the ways Jesus is known is he, he flipped the religious world upside down, the whole world, where the king comes and serves and demands less for himself and gives everything for everyone else. And that's completely upside down. So there's this Marine and this... Marine, his first name is Lewis, and this is in 1950. So nobody was born that long ago, were they? Okay. So 1950. So the World War II had been over for just uh, about four and a half years by this time. And this conflict begins in the peninsula known as Korea, and it's eventually known as the Korean War, probably the least known and least talked about war in American history. Uh, it's very significant for a variety of reasons, but the world is, is war-weary. We don't want another war economy. We don't want to see our sons at that time. It was only sons go off to battle, to some of them sacrifice everything, the ultimate sacrifice of their life. And it's in a faraway foreign country, and it's like, not again. So there's this weariness that happens. And the military invades, lands, and they've got a goal in mind of what they're going to do. And there's this marine group of which Lewis is a part of. And this is, the invasion began, the landing was, was uh, I think it was around June. And now we're all the way to November. And in this spot in North Korea, or it's just on the border, it's called the Chosen Reservoir. This is a specific place. It's 30 below in 
the end of November. And I want you to imagine this harsh, harsh, uh, rocky, mountainous terrain that these guys are in, and there's no heating room to go to. You know, I don't know if you've ever gone ice skating, they have a little warm spot you can go to. Didn't exist. They didn't have housing or, or tents, and frostbite was one of the major things, but these guys are living in rocky foxholes. And there's about 30,000 of them. And they had been sent out to find and engage the enemy. We didn't have satellites back then that could tell us where everybody was. And so they're out on this expedition, and it's a large contingent. And what ends up happening is a little bit, we get to December, or about December 5th, somewhere around there. Uh, it's a little bit less cold, but it's so cold that if somebody were to get wounded, that the blood, the plasma that they have to fuse in a person is frozen and they can't use it. So those people who are wounded are in desperate straits and those that have been shot and need pain relief, the, the medics would have to take the morphine vial and put it in their mouth to thought before they could actually give them the little shot to give them. That's the conditions they're in. And I think about those conditions. If I was there, what would it be like? And you know, the first three thoughts that I had are, I'm cold, I'm cold, I'm cold. Because that's just nightmarish. I mean, we just had a little dip in temperature. That was just a little dip. That wasn't anything major. But it was cold outside, wasn't it? Now imagine being outside and not being able to go inside. And I'm super cold. And I want to go home. I want to get warm. I want to be somewhere else. And the next thing that happens is they're surrounded by an army of 130,000 Chinese fighters. They're surrounded completely. And my perspective at that point is pretty hopeless. I'm scared. I'm worried. I'm going to die or I'm going to be taken prisoner. I don't know what's going to happen. My future, everything is conflict. And, you know, we can't really put ourselves in that position, but we can kind of think of what it would be like. And, and that's my perspective of what it would be like for me as a soldier. And in the middle of this group, there's a leadership group in the military, and they come together. And Lewis, who's also known as Chesty Puller, and he's a famous Marine. He's, he's the most decorated Marine that's ever been. He earned five Navy crosses, which is the second highest medal of honor for valor on the battlefield, second highest. He won five of those and a whole boatload of others. This is a man's man. He's a short man. He's called Chesty because he has this big barrel chest. He's famous. There's a statue of him. If you're a Marine, you know who I'm talking about. And he comes out with a whole new perspective. And this is what he says. He says, we've been looking for the enemy for some time now. We finally found him. We're surrounded. That simplifies things. And I'm reading that going, that's amazing perspective. I mean, he's not going, oh, we're all going to die, right? He's going, we've been out, we got sent out. This was our mission, right? Now we're surrounded. It's going to be no, no matter what direction we face, there he is, our enemy. That simplifies things. So that's a, like this total flip. And not everybody is built that way. You know, not everybody is wired exactly like that. And that, that's okay. But we all have the choice to flip our own perspectives on things. I, I, I believe that firmly. There's a, a thing that happens 
with us when a situation arises, whatever it is, and it may be conflict. And one of them is a reaction. And that's the thing that just happens first. And then the choice comes in is when we choose to have a response instead, right? That's a thoughtful process of having a response and the reaction. So the best way I can put this, and so I'm a dad. We have four children, and three of them are boys. They're the older ones. And, you know, I know how to do boys. I grew up with boys. And we had a girl that was weird and scary and stuff still is. Love her to death, but that's hard. The boys were easy. Smack. <laughs> Sit down. But I can remember when my boys would get to the age where if they would start noticing girls, right? And I'm beginning to watch, and there's a time where one of my son, my oldest son and I are driving along, and there's this apparently very pretty girl walking along in a, in a spot, and both of our heads turn. And then we lock eyes. And I'm like, oh, crud, this is one of those moments where I'm supposed to teach something brilliant, <laughs> right? And I'm trying to flip through my book of what are the answers. No, I didn't have a book. And so we laughed and talked about it a little bit. And I, and I said, look, this is how God wired us. That's, that's natural. The first look, first look, that's a reaction. That's how God wired us. There's certain things that are attractive to us as males. And, and that first look is like, no, God, God made a lot of beautiful things, including some women and including some men, you know, whatever you want to say. But the second look is our responsibility. That's the response. See, because the second look is always going to involve this thing called lust. And it's, you're not a dog. You're a boy. You're a human being. And that's your responsibility to treat that woman with respect. It's your job. So you get the difference between reaction and response. And that, that's one of the things that a lot of hours of therapy have taught me as being one of the most successful things of being a calm, loving human being who doesn't panic, right? is that I actually have some power there. So why am I telling you all of this? Well, the scripture that we're going to read goes through a little bit, and here's all of this good news, and then comes this thing called a warning. In fact, the title of it for us is God's Warning. And so I'm reading through, and we get to the, the, all of the cool stuff, and then there's this warning, and it's like, why? Why, why did you have to put the... Couldn't we stop before that? So... Let's explain a little further. So this is like therapy for me, except none of you can charge me, okay? So growing up, I'm the youngest. Uh, my next oldest brother, the two older are gone, and the next oldest had, had left for college. And so I inherit the basement in our house. We have a ranch house, and, you know, it's just this long basement. And at the far end is a bedroom, and I love the bedroom, you know, because now I'm like a guy. I have my own place. I have my own floor. I've arrived, and I'm 14. And so in my home on Saturdays, we did not sleep in. Did anybody here get to sleep in, like, as a kid? I don't know. Somebody, nobody, liars, somebody did. You had it made, because in my house, it was 7.30 on a Saturday. 
And the expectation was, here's the chores that we do on Saturday, that you get the chores done. If you do, then you can go play, do what you want to do, but you got to get the chores done. And the, one of the chores I had was cleaning the entire basement, and that's not a big deal. I'm the only one down there, and I'm very cleanly type of a person. I'm clean. I never make a mess. <laughs> so above me is a bedroom with a wooden floor. My mom would come in and she would take her, she had a dust mop. Remember those? And she'd flip that thing upside down. And at 7.30, she'd go, bam, 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 which meant wake up, lazy son, get to work. So I always woke up going, I just love my mom. You believe that, right? Uh, so I would wake up, and one of the chores was vacuuming, to vacuum the entire basement. And it, not a big job, but I would get ready to vacuum, and as I would, this happened numerous times. This is not like a fantasy in my head. I have been to therapy over this. I haven't got over it yet, but I'm going to share it with you, because I would be grabbing the vacuum, and it was like the old Sears type. You know, it said Kenmore on it. You'd do this. And it had a switch, and I'd just be ready to press a switch, and down would come my mom's little angelic voice. You gonna start vacuuming anytime soon? I was just gonna push the button. And now I, I, I wanna rip the cord out and throw it. <laughs> I don't wanna vacuum anymore. Now I am frustrated. I'm PO'd, as the kids say. And the day would go on. But the, it wasn't necessarily a warning, you know, so I started thinking about it as I grew up and went through counseling and all this. You know, why was that so important? My mom was a very, very cleanly, clean person, fastidious, and, 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 and that was fine. It wasn't ruinous. My mom didn't beat me or chain me or anything like that. It was just that was, that was part of life, and I grew up that way. And I often wonder, why did my mom need that type of control? Well, you know, it was a really simple thing, and she had her own stuff, and we ended up with a phenomenal relationship later in life. But I would go, when she's telling me that, to do that, it, it's not necessarily a warning, but I take it. That's exactly how I respond when somebody warns me of something. Because the thought is, do you think I don't know how to vacuum? Do you, do you think I don't know how long this is going to take? Do you really need to micromanage me? Do you think I'm that inept of a person that I'm going to forget from last Saturday? And every Saturday before that, as long as I can remember. Really, Mom? Those are the thoughts that are going through my head. As I would yell back upstairs, yes, Mom? And I'm trying to figure out, why is that? And last night, John Williams was talking, and he said, it's the sin nature that's in us. And it seems like as we age, as we get older, this thing happens where, you know, like a two-year-old, if you think of a two-year-old running around, right, and a two-year-old is ready to leave the house, let's go, because mom or dad or everybody's going to bring them somewhere, and they're wearing half of breakfast all over them, right? Anybody ever seen that, or was it just my kids? Right? So you see these little kids, and they're just ready to go. They have, it's not like there's this esteem issue or that they've got to go get makeup on and look good for the world. They're just ready to go, you know? That's how I used to be. And then as I aged, 
it seems like they're developed this potential to live by pride instead. Because the thought of leaving the house with pancakes, little pieces, and syrup on you, and I mean, remember those little kids coming up ready to give you a kiss? It's like, get away. That was my thought. I mean, moms are different. Oh, you're so cute and darling. Let me give you a kiss on your little sticky lips. Yeah. (laughs) I'd hose off first. You know, but there's no pride there. But then something happens as we grow older. And, you know, even to the point, like, I, I can imagine being 14 and, like, getting ready to leave the house and having a stain and having my mom say, hey, you got a shirt with a stain on, I would probably respond the same exact way that I did about the vacuuming things. I didn't like that. And what was she doing? She was warning me that I had a stain. So my response in the scripture that we're going to read next, when we got to the sixth verse and, and the warning comes, my hackles went up. So let's see why. 1 Kings 9 one through nine. This is out of the CSB version. The words will be on the screen. Follow along if you have the ability. It says this. When Solomon finished building the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all that Solomon desired to do, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time just as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. It was through the course of a dream. The Lord said to him, I've heard your prayer and petition you have made before me. I've consecrated this temple you have built to put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked with a heart of integrity and in what is right, doing everything I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and ordinances, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised your father David, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. Verse six, the warning. God says to him, if you or your sons turn away from following me and do not keep my commandments, my statutes that I have set before you, and if you go and serve other gods and bow down and worship them, I will cut off Israel from the land I gave them. I will reject the temple I have sanctified for my name. Israel will become an object of scorn and ridicule among peoples. Though this temple is now exalted, everyone who passes by will be appalled and they will scoff. They will say, why did the Lord do this to this land and this temple? And they, those around, will say, because they abandoned their Lord, their God, who brought their ancestors out of the land of Egypt, they held on to their other gods and bowed down and worshiped them and served them. Because of this, the Lord brought all this ruin to them. The end of the reading. So verses one through three is like, this is what we've accomplished, and it's a big deal. The temple is now built and open and ready for use. The palace is completed and done. They've finished two weeks of celebration. Uh, There was this huge prayer that was given, and all of it is about adoration and worship of God, and God says yes and comes, and he resides. His presence is in the temple, and it's spectacular. It's like something nobody's ever seen before. And it's in the moment of this gloriousness that God comes and appears to Solomon. He's just accomplished, and yet he says, this is what you've done, and if you do these things, 
Now, this is the Old Testament, so there were a lot of laws that's changed in the New Testament time since Jesus. But in the Old Testament, there was all these rules and laws to keep them separate and to keep them clean. And actually, if you look at all of the rules and put them all together, they were all for their betterment. And it was actually a really super wise way to live. It wasn't necessarily this huge chore of drudgery and horridness. It was celebration and it was confession and it was community. And it was a nation together under God, and they were his chosen people. And these blessings, they're undeserved, and they're, it's unmerited favor, it's grace. It's given to this nation that God chose. And then he says, so if you do all of these things, I'm going to bless this. I'm going to bless this in, in the way that means the most to the nation of Israel. I'm going to keep this king, this line of kings, all the way through to the end of time, if you do this. And then it comes to the warning. And it, it's almost like somebody giving you a compliment is, is how I feel. Not, that's not how it is in Scripture. See, that's a perspective you could have, but if we flip the perspective, okay, so it, it's, it's like if you came up and said, hey, so you got a haircut, really like your haircut, but. And as soon as that word comes out, it's like, well, there was no compliment. And that's kind of how I felt reading this, right? In the beginning until I chose to change my perspective on it. And he says, here's what's going to happen if you turn away. So turn away from what? The covenant, how did the covenant start? Well, it began with Abram back in the Old Testament, and, and God appears, and, and, and there's a sacrifice that happens, and it's a very special thing. It was something that did happen, and it was to, to put to the world and to everybody a declaration that we're together in this, and nothing will break us apart. And, and it was a sacrifice of a bull, and it would be split in two, and it would be laid out, and there's this whole ceremony. And usually two men would walk together arm in arm through the course of that bull, this empty spot. They would walk through that together to signify the commitment to that relationship. And in this instance, God goes through himself. Abram isn't required to. So God says, this is my promise. I'm going to do the work. Here's some things you need to do on your side. And there's a warning that if you don't, then this is going to be broken. And, you know, we go all the way to the cross where Jesus does the exact same thing. He goes to the cross and he doesn't say, hey, you have to come up here too, right? You know, all of you have to, you got to come up here and get crucified. No, he does it himself. It's the same thing. So he sets this statute before them and he gives them this way of life to live and they start acting like 14-year-olds. And he gives them the warning, here's what's going to happen. It's a foreshadowing of what's going to happen. So this promise and this dream goes to Solomon. But it also goes to the nation of Israel. And by broader extent, it goes to us today. Those of us under the new covenant, this warning comes out to us today. Now, I want you to understand this part really clearly. God isn't saying to you, you have one chance. I, I don't believe that. And I don't think any of us are going to use this as an excuse to go off the rails. 
But he's given us this warning of if you go there and you stay there, worshiping other gods, turning your back on me, then here's what's going to happen, and it isn't good. See, I, I put in my notes that this is the simplest part of Kings that I've found yet as far as how clear is the bit of scripture. It's perfectly clear. If you do this, you will be blessed. If you turn your back on me, things are going to go terribly. That's it. That's the message of this scripture. And it's very, very simple to understand. And it's incredibly complicated to live it out. It's probably the most complicated part we as Christians deal with. So if you're new and you don't know Jesus and you want to get in, there's a little bit of a warning. It's very complicated. It's very worth it, incredibly worth it. There's no question there of the value. But it, it doesn't mean that, yeah, I love Jesus and now everything is better. No, because we still have this thing inside of us, this sin nature, that will create us at times as a reactionary being rather than a responsible, responding being who's loved by God. There's a difference. So as we grow, we have this pretense, this uh, propensity to, to have pride really, really seek in and really, really damage what we hear. You know, I, I, I have worked with a lot of people over a lot of things. And I value so much when somebody has a different perspective, right? When somebody can come in with a new picture. And it's kind of like they're, they're like pulling a chesty, you know, like chesty puller. Came in and, hey, that's a play on words. He's pulling a chesty, chesty puller. I didn't mean that. It just happened. But every now and then, God will put somebody in life. And I've heard it at funerals. I've heard it at tragic bedsides. And sometimes I hear it during daily life. And when I hear that different perspective, something really like boom and my ears go up and I'm, now I'm, I'm paying rapt attention because I want what you have at that moment, right? I, I want that. There's a common thing that happens of I'm an adult, don't tell me what to do, right? Does anybody ever feel that way? Like I've arrived. No, it isn't even that. It's just like I'm an adult, stop preaching at me. Well, I'm sorry, I'm a preacher. That's what I do. You know, that, that, that's the pride aspect. So imagine if someone that you knew cared about you, that they had your well-being um, in mind, and they came up and said, hey, there's these things going on in your life that are actually pretty evident. I, I, I see. And according to God's word, you know, not mine, but according to God's word, that's a dangerous place to be. And, man, if there's anything I can do to help you not do that, will you please call me? Let me know. Stop by. Whatever, I'll, I'll drop what I got going, and I, I, I want to be there. What was our reaction going to be? Can you stay out of my business? You don't know anything. I know the bad things about you. How dare you tell me that? That's one way. But then that, that's the reaction side. But the response side requires an effort, some thinking. It's letting our brain calm down. It's getting, getting a hold of ourselves, whatever you want to call it, Be, becoming sane again and going, okay, 
This perspective you're giving me is different than my perspective. I wonder if it's valuable. Is it for my benefit and where does it come from? Well, if it comes from scripture, maybe I can listen. If it's worldly, nah, there's a billion self-help books, go get them. Some of them work partly, but not permanently. This is a permanent thing here, and this is never wrong. And yet we resist this warning that God gives us. And I have to stress again that this isn't like a one and done, like you failed. Because if you take the nation of Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years and you follow what they did, you're going to find this roller coaster, seasick ride that they're on in following God. They're in slavery. God has forsaken us. God listens. He comes back and says, I haven't forsaken you. I'm going to set you free. So he sets them free through a large series of his power shown in the nation. And they flee up to the Red Sea. And there's an army that chases them. And the first miracle he provides is this pillar of fire. And then he instructs Moses to part the sea. And Moses does. And God gives that power to Moses through Moses and becomes dry ground and the entire nation, over a million people, walk across. They get to the other side and then the army starts to chase and the water comes and he defeats their enemies. He brings them safely across and they really didn't do anything. They didn't pray just the right prayer. They didn't sacrifice just the right sacrifice. They didn't dress just right. They didn't have the right social media stuff. They didn't show up at church. They just accepted. And it's like this spiritual high now. It's like, do you see what God just did? How could we ever doubt? I will never doubt again, right? I will never be frustrated at my mom again when she taps on the floor. Then you go a little ways, and then they think they're going to die from thirst. You know, there's a point in the, in the traveling of Israel where they actually say out loud, it would be better if we were in Egypt slaves again, because at least we knew what food we were going to get. They're at a spiritual low. And at that point, as I'm reading, as a, as a not follower of Jesus, I, I read the stories. I wasn't following Jesus, so I knew the history. And, you know, as, as I'm reading through, it's like, why doesn't God just, like, start over? Like, push them off a cliff, because that's really what they deserve, this disobedient group of people, you know? It, and he, he doesn't, and I'm baffled by that. I didn't know it was this thing called unconditional love and grace that steadfast and long-suffering actually were real words that God embraced. I didn't know that. So the Israelites then, you know, they, they go further, and then we have the incident with the Ten Commandments and the golden calf, and we've done sermons on that. You can go read the story yourself. It's in Exodus. Uh, and and they're, they're actually turning their back on God and worshiping an idol. Now, isn't that cool because in... 2024 America, we don't worship idols, right? So, except phones and iPads and opinions, and we search, search the endlessly for the God of approval. 
the one that is most prevalent in America, in my opinion, is the God of happiness. And we turn our back on God. And he says, hey, you know, if you continue this path, destruction's going to happen. But he's also the God that has these open arms that welcomes us back. The story of the prodigal son is all about that. It's actually the prodigal God, how the son goes and squanders and profanes his dad's name until he's almost dead and comes running back and father welcomes him back with open arms. That's who our God is. But he gives us a warning. So why does he give us a warning? Why, why, why would someone bother to give us a warning? You know, sometimes I think it's because they're arrogant and they're hypocrites. And they're bossy. They just want to be in control. They're control freaks. I don't have to listen to control freaks, right? Or those Bible thumpers. I don't have to listen to them either. Yeah, that's all my pride. Because God speaks in very mysterious ways through very mysterious people. A lot of them misfit toys. He speaks often through them. And if their wisdom is coming from Scripture, then I want to listen. But, you know, the whole hypocrite thing, I had uh, someone ask me one time, I said, don't you feel like you're a huge hypocrite because you tell your kids not to drink and drug, and that's what you did. For those of you who don't know, I'm a recovering drug addict, right? Recovering alcoholic. And, you know, I, I live that life. And they're like, and you're telling your kids to not use, big hypocrite. And it's like, where did that come from? You know, and I could do therapy with that guy, right? And I, I know what some of his issues are, authority and daddy issues to start with. Did I say that out loud? I didn't say his name, did I? And I'm like, I'm thinking about it, and it's like, no, it's like this. I said this to him. It's like if somebody built a doorway that I need to go through. So let's pretend it's at work here over in the next building. And somebody builds a doorway... And they put the header at five foot, five inches, okay? You know what the header, that's the top of the door. And that's usually a very sturdy couple pieces of wood up there. And I'm going, because I have to go through that door, but I'm not really paying attention. I'm just, I'm busy and I'm coming along and I smack my head on that and almost knock myself out, drop a few more IQ points lower, and I end up on the other side of the door. And maybe Adam, Ray, who I introduce you to, kind of like my twin. Remember that guy? Strong. Yeah. He's behind me. And I, I, I turn around and say, hey, bro, watch your head. That's really low. I don't know why that's so low. But please, man, I don't want you to hurt yourself. Is that hypocrisy? Or is that love? Is that care? Is that concern? Because if I didn't care, I wouldn't say anything. But if I have this love in me, which comes from God, I would turn around and say something. I would give him a warning. Then it's up to him to process that warning. Now, if he's 14-year-old Tim, he's going to be angry and probably go even faster and knock himself out because that's what I would do. And as I mature, because I think emotionally I'm up to like 23, getting there. It's a slow process. It's a process. I'm, I'm, I might listen now, and that, that's not hypocrisy. So since we have this 
steadfast God, this long-suffering God. He's not saying it's one and done. He's saying, you know, I, I, I know I, I lived through the Israelites' travels. I know what it's like. And you're no different. And my love for you is no different than it was for them. Now, there's a new covenant, and we don't have to keep all of those. Jesus said, you know, I came and I fulfilled all of those laws and rules. He didn't say the rules were bad. But he said, no, I did all of those. That price is paid. Uh, I'm going to walk through on a cross alone. And, and you're so welcome. The reason I did it isn't so that you will be perfect on this earth. That's not going to happen. And you're going to have spiritual highs and lows. And some of you are going to be real steady. And that's really awesome, cool. But you're going to be at these points. He's not saying get it all together and then come and see me. He's saying wherever you're at. Jesus is for you. So if you're at the low of the lows and you've never been lower and, and, and there's things going on in your life that are just embarrassing, believe me, I've been there, I've done that. And to keep it in is horrid because it just, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle. And God isn't waiting for you to clean up. He's waiting for you to come now. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. Maybe, maybe you've experienced pain and trauma and that part of life just can't let go of you. It's okay, bring it. He's going to teach you the way to release it. He sees you and he knows you and he knit you in your mother's womb and he loves you completely just as you are right now at this moment. And he didn't send Jesus for the people that don't live in the land of misfit toys. He sent Jesus for the land of the misfit toys of which we are their king. We're the capital city. And we just happen to be in three locations now. That means we're spreading. We're getting ready to take over the world. And it isn't for us, it's for his kingdom. And then when we receive that unreal grace and love, that total acceptance, that unconditional love. And it's like us, like a little two-year-old, sticky, kind of gross. Maybe or maybe not have a clean diaper in a onesie that's yellow. I don't know why that's the picture. And running up, you got a dad who can get over his clean upbringing and grab that kid and hug him and get some of that syrup on the cheek. Sorry, didn't mean to hit my mic. This cheek. That's who God is. And the reason that he does all of that is because he loves you. That's it. He desires you. He desires a relationship with you. He knows you. He wants you to know him. See, God didn't turn his back on Israel. Israel turned its back on God, and that's part of free will. So a parent, if you have a two-year-old or older, but it's about two when you start giving out warnings to your kid. There's a lot of sharp corners in the world, and there's a lot of hot spots and a lot of danger and there's stairs and you know with a little kid sometimes it's kind of like let's just put them in bubble wrap and put a helmet on them that would be safe but it's not safe 
And we start giving warnings. Why does a parent warn their two-year-old? Is it to shame them and to bring them down and to tell them they're stupid, that they haven't arrived, that they don't know what they're doing? No. It's because they're growing, they're new, they're experiencing new things, just like we do when we become a new creation in Christ. And we continue to grow up into adolescence and hopefully adulthood. But we're warning because we love them. And we let them have some consequences within reason. That's why God gives us warnings. So the band's going to come out here, and in Manistee, I'm going to pray. Father, we're going to continue in worship. Help us to get over the, the thought that we need to have it all together. And sometimes when we don't have it all together, that's the time when we fear warnings the most because those warnings may hit real close to home at that time and that could be embarrassing. Help us to get over that. Help us to look at ourselves as a two-year-old that's coming back to dad's arms at this moment and that his arms for that two-year-old will always be open and always welcoming us back not chastising, not shaming, but in pure hope and love. Father, may you send your spirit within us to help us understand that in your blessed name. Amen.